You're listening to the Nick Amp Podcast, a podcast that dives into the lives and stories of creatives, entrepreneurs, and outdoor enthusiasts. My name is Nick Amp, and I'm a filmmaker and photographer best known for documenting stories in the mountains. We sit down with guests to uncover where they pull inspiration from, dig into their experiences in the outdoor industry, and find a ton of actionable inspiration from their adventures in life. Welcome back to another episode. This is episode 13. Today we have someone who is based out of Ohio State. And they're quite unique because most photographers that you see on Instagram are out of the West Coast, Colorado, all these big name areas. And this guy has managed to make a name for himself with his unique photography style by taking the time to do things that are creative that you might not be able to do anywhere else. And this guy, he's a brand marketer. He does hunting photography. He recently just joined the hunting community himself. So it's been really awesome to watch him grow in that aspect. And without further ado, we have Jack Westerheide, also known as Jack West on Instagram. Jack, how you doing, man? Yeah. Good, Nick. Thanks for uh, having me on. Appreciate it, man. Well, to start it off, man, just give us a brief rundown of how you got here and what your story is in terms of picking up a camera, getting into hunting, things like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as you mentioned, I am Midwest born and raised. Um, I'm based in just outside of Columbus, Ohio, attended the Ohio State University. And I would say that I've always had that creative, you know, bone in my body. So, um, I would say I first started photography back on a a family vacation, I think this was probably, I don't know, 2010. And we went on a, we were lucky to go on a Mediterranean cruise with my parents, my grandparents. So my grandma gave me a little, a little cannon point and shoot and said, Hey, you know, we're going on this fantastic trip. That was my first time out of the country. And she's like, take this camera and just take a lot of cool pictures. So that's what really, you know, started my exploration into photography was with that little cannon point and shoot. Um, kept up with it for a while, did a little bit of, you know, photography through high school, but didn't really take it that seriously. And uh, got to college at Ohio State and was actually in the media marketing and communications scholars program at Ohio State. So that kind of gave me a, a good background into initial strategy of marketing and thought that that's maybe something I wanted to pursue as a career later down the road. Ended up joining, uh, applied for a, was looking for kind of like an internship or a job in my sophomore year of college at Ohio State. Saw an opening at the student newspaper at Ohio State called The Lantern. Applied for that job, got it, and that that turned into be kind of the coolest, most shining accomplishment or everything that I did in my undergrad career at Ohio State. Uh, just an absolutely fantastic experience. Worked there for three years uh, until graduation. Held a couple different roles. I was the social media editor the uh, photography editor, um, and then ended up being the managing editor for design. So laying out the newspaper and then incorporating kind of all the stuff that I had done in my previous two roles, both in photography and social media, copywriting, all that stuff. Um, That was a super great experience. I learned a lot about photography during my time at the Lantern. Got to travel with the Ohio State football and basketball teams. Um, You know, on the road with them, getting into sports photography, which Ohio State, you know, 
love them or hate them, they're they're a good sports team. So got to go to some big games and be on the on the sideline of the field and you know backstage access to a lot of you know music events as well on campus and in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I really say I would cut my teeth with photography and also just design in general and getting a chance to lay out the oh, yeah. the print editions of the newspaper. Um, after college, I continued on with an internship that I had had at Abercrombie & Fitch Corporate. Um, and so I worked there for a couple of years after college. I was in, had a couple of different roles there, um, international heat commerce, uh, but mostly in operations. So ran store operations for all of our stores around the world. Um, that was a really cool experience, but didn't really, you know, get to do a whole lot of creative work in that role. Um, stuck with that through kind of COVID and then in 20 last year. So 2022, uh, actually was through a, a friend of a friend on Instagram reposted a, we're hiring post from Muddy Shutter Media, uh, kind of checked it out and didn't never heard of them before. Didn't realize that their, uh, headquarters were in Cleveland, Ohio, which is two and a half hours North of me in Columbus. So kind of on a set a kind of a cold email to the, to the email they had listed in that hiring post. And I was hired at Muddy Shower Media last February. So I've been there for about a year. I'm currently the associate marketing director at Muddy Shutter Media. And it's only been a year, but it feels like it's been 10 years based on our, all the project we've worked on. And it's been, you know, the best job of my career so far. So that brings me to today. Yeah. First off, a lot can happen in one year and when you're loving what you're doing you tend to do more of what you're doing because you love it so then it just feels like wow i really did all that in just this one year but to yeah no it dive is into, it's a lot to think about to dive into your earlier days of picking up a camera back when you were in high school in that canon point and shoot were you just taking photos of everything that you could? Was it more of on family trips? How, how was, how did that go? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely started on family vacations and kind of went from there. It's like, even when we got back from that vacation, kept the camera and kept trying to learn new things about, you know, how to take photography. And that's the one thing that's, stuck with me is after we got back from that trip and we're kind of reviewing the pictures, everyone said, Oh, like you have an eye, you have an eye for photography. I, they didn't really know what that meant, but looking back on that, I feel like it's kind of that, that's similar, yeah. similar eye is like, it goes beyond taking pictures. I would describe it as taking pictures that everyone else takes. And it's like, you're at some type of famous landmark or, uh, yeah. you know, an event that or a place that now that we are all on Instagram, it's like, I've seen this picture before. I'm not going to take that picture. I'm going to try to do something different, whether that's taking a different angle or, you know, using elements in the foreground or the background to kind of make your, your picture of what is honestly a, a very common picture different and specific to you. So that's kind of what I would say I focused on a lot in my photography development was trying to have that different eye and take pictures that you know, maybe of a popular thing, but when you see that picture, you can kind of tell that either it's my picture or it's, it stands out from that same picture that maybe a lot of other people have taken. You know, one thing I was mentioning to my friend was you can, 
tell a Jack West photo from a mile away just by your unique style? Dude, that means so and, much, honestly. So it's been years, years in the making. Very well, man. And to move forward with that, you worked at The Lantern. You were an editor, a social media, the copywriting. And you say this helped you develop your photography skills in a more advanced way. I mean, that's sports photography, concerts, things like that. And now you do more outdoors photography. How did that translate over to the outdoors photography? What skills did you take from the lantern to further on yeah. now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I'd say like, you know, I'm definitely, I would still describe myself as more of an outdoor landscape, lifestyle, you know, obviously hunting, fishing, um, all that, but you know, all in the outdoor space. Like I enjoy pretty much any type of outdoor recreational activity. So, but the skills that I learned at the Lantern, I would say that, you know, low light concert photography, sports photography, um, those oh, translate yeah. extremely, extremely well to wildlife photography and outdoor photography, just because in a lot of those sections, just like when you're you know, in the corner of an end zone or something and someone's throwing a, a Hail Mary touchdown, you only get one chance to get that photo. And it's not, you can't like, if you miss the photo, you can't you know, go out to the team and be like, Hey, can you guys do that again? Like, and that's kind of a similar, similar vibe when you're on a hunt or something. Yeah. It's like, you get one chance to get that shot. And if you don't get it, you don't get it. So it's kind of like being, making sure that you have all your settings dialed, you know, kind of, you can anticipate if something is about to go down. And even if you can't anticipate when something's about to go down, being ready to basically get the shot in any type of situation. So yeah, the lantern was definitely a great learning experience and fast action, you know, a lot of times low light situations. Um, and I still use a lot of those things that I learned in those days to the type of photography and the trips that I go on now. That sure translates perfectly. I just had yeah. uh animal documentary filmmaker on last week. He was talking awesome. about how filming wildlife is definitely unique because all the shots he got from a certain sequence was not all from the same day. And he said that he just had to be there and be ready to get that one shot that they were going to do something cool or interesting. So that makes a lot of sense when you say, catch the catch the shot in the end zone. Now you're doing hunting, fishing. If that fish comes out of the water, you want to get that shot, right? That's awesome, man. I mean, that just, if anyone's listening you want to get into wildlife or sports they kind of work together skills wise so yep. what does a typical day for you look like working with a media company are you editing are you taking photos the whole time branding seo yeah um that is a great question probably all of the above but uh my role <laughs> has definitely changed a lot since i joined the uh the MSM team last year. So when I came on, I was a, I think my title was creative content producer. And it's a great title because that's pretty much what I did. I just made things, whether that was like a Instagram, you know, post or a reel or editing a small short form piece of content, um, even down to, you know, figuring out what, what kind of the posting strategy and schedule was for that specific piece. So uh, I would say that my role now has kind of evolved into more of that marketing strategy uh, business development role, Got client you. You know, relations, kind of building that 
building a custom, you know, marketing strategy with them based on whatever their, you know, business objectives are. And that's, that's kind of a conversation that I've had a lot of people and it's like that side, that business strategy side, I would consider just as much of a creative process as the actual like photography, video, you know, design process, just because it takes, you know, creativity to kind of create a custom, a custom plan for a company to achieve a specific goal. You're still using that creative brain to, you know, look at what other people do, but then put your own spin on it. So, and then obviously I'm working with our super talented, uh, team of creatives and media production guys, post-production wizards, um, to, you know, once we create that concept of what we want to do, like working with them to develop the content, cut it, edit it, shoot it, and then figure out a way to best showcase it to the world. So. So I was looking at the Muddy Shutter Media's Instagram page, and you guys do serve some outdoors companies, right? So yes, we do. What's that experience yep. like being? What's that experience like being able to brand and make this strategy for these outdoors companies something that you love to do? What goes yeah, through your budget really process cool. when you're trying to you're trying to help someone out like that? Yeah, yeah, it's really cool, and I feel like everyone on the team it's kind of like a common thread. Um, some of us came from hunting backgrounds, some of us didn't, um, then some of us, you know, some of us can currently hunt and some of us do not. So it's a great mix of people, but I would say that the common thread across the team is everyone does love to be outside. You know, we've got kayakers, you've got hikers, you've got people who are into like overlanding, camping, and then we've got, you know, hunters and fishermen and stuff. So, but that common thread is everyone likes being outside. So when we get to work with a client that's an outdoor brand or, you know, they provide a product or a service that is primarily targeted towards people who are in the outdoor industry. That's really where we can run wild a little bit because we kind of have that background knowledge of the customer base because in most times we are the customer base. So um, getting to help a brand develop a strategy that you know is almost tailored to you in a sense, it's kind of cool. Um, it's like if you were to go to your favorite brands and say, you know, hey, I'm this person, I'm a customer, and this is what I think you should do. Not many of us get that opportunity. So us on the opposite side of that in the agency setting, getting to kind of provide that feedback and give ideas to some of our favorite companies, it's it's really fun. So That's unique, man. That's a dream job if you ask me. I worked at an agency and we served a lot of different companies, none of them outdoors. So I can imagine yeah. what you're doing is just, yeah. just amazing. Well, I mean, that's the cool thing too is like, so we work with the full spectrum. Like we've got, you know, in our portfolio right now, we've got outdoor clients. Uh, we are big into the music industry. So we've shot music videos, um, you know, concert recaps, events. Uh, we're getting into sports. Uh, we're actually getting ready to go shoot another piece with a pretty major uh, sports retailer. That's uh, can't release it right now, but it'll be uh, released probably in a couple months. But yeah, it's, it's cool for us to be able to work with so many different people in so many different industries that you can kind of pull things that, you know, you wouldn't say, for example, we do like an outdoor shoot and then pulling that concept into a like, you know, retail setting, for example, it's like being able to cross pull ideas across industries. And it, that's, that's kind of a cool thing for us as well. So being able to work with such a broad spectrum of clients and companies and products. That's awesome, man. So transitioning to hunting and photography, 
how did you get into hunting exactly? Like, where did this journey start? Because two years ago, right, is when you started this journey? Yep, that is correct. You did, you did your uh, research and everything. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I started, definitely did not have a traditional, what people would consider to be a traditional, you know, hunting lineage. So when you look at, you know, the hunting tradition and culture in America, usually it's passed down from one generation to the next. And it's like you have someone in your family or like a close personal friend who kind of shows you the rope when you're a young kid, gets you out there, and then you kind of develop you know, as you age into like the full hunter. Whereas me, like I grew up, um, outdoors, you know, mostly like hiking, camping. Um, like for instance, my dad and I went on like a week long, uh, rafting trip down the Colorado river. So it's like, I was not a stranger to spending time outside, but it was, I didn't really ever, uh, definitely I didn't ever do it. I did not grow up hunting. Um, knew a couple of people that hunted, but it just really wasn't a thing that anyone in my immediate circle did. So it was never something that I considered doing. Um, and so fast forward to COVID, I was kind of like everyone else. I need to like get outside. And I didn't really know what I was going to do, what was going to be that driving factor. And, you know, obviously I love to hike and stuff, but it's not like you don't wake up and you're like, oh, I, I know you do because you go on your sunset. Uh, and sunrise journey, but I didn't wake up and say, yeah, I'm definitely going to go. <laughs> um, and so I needed some type of like new activity or yeah. something. It's like, I want to wake up every day and just like know that that's what I'm going to do. So I randomly was scrolling on Netflix and came across, uh, Steven Ronello, who he's the founder of meat eater, which I don't know if anyone's ever watched the meat eater show on Netflix, which is now on their own website. Um, but before he started Mediator, he did a documentary called Stars in the Sky. And I watched that documentary and that was really like, that was the the spark that ignited my interest in hunting. And it was really an out of the box perspective that I had never really seen before coming from like someone who was a hunter. Because growing up in central Ohio, it's like, obviously there's a huge population of hunters around me, but it's like more so on like the, uh -huh. I didn't really know about why they were doing it. And so having insight into, you know, the history of hunting in America, what it means to these people, like how they go about it, the culture, um, you know, connection with wildlife, connection with the outdoors, connection with your community. And it was just a super cool perspective that I had never considered before. So after watching that, definitely started to take steps to learn more about hunting. Um, took my hunter education course, uh, started, you know, scouting public land, which public land in itself is a, a cool aspect that I feel like hunters know a lot about just as much as people spend a lot of time in national parks and stuff out in our region mm -hmm. of the Midwest. We don't have as many of those grand national parks that we can go to quickly and easily access. So figuring out where your public land access is, whether that's state parks or local municipalities or anywhere that you can go and, you know, basically hunt for free pretty much and spend time outdoors without anyone bothering you. So yeah, that's kind of where I started during COVID covid and this is where we've uh ended up that's amazing so to dive a little bit deeper into hunting how did you find a crowd of people to start going hunting with i mean you said that your immediate circle wasn't hunters how do you reach out to people and start getting into that circle so yeah that's an excellent question and kind of getting into it is 
I found a, a family friend that I'd known for a long time that I knew was into hunting and kind of reached out to him first as to kind of use as a resource. And so I started getting ready for hunting season. My first hunting season would have been uh, spring turkey season here in Ohio, which is April to May. And so this was two years ago was that was going to be my first season. Started getting kind of prepped for it in that late fall winter um, and then was really geared up towards it starting in like that March, April timeframe. Um, so got with him, took the full hunter education course, kind of learned as much about turkey hunting as I could, both from watching YouTube videos and just, I don't know, reading, like looking at maps. I mean, that's the thing about hunting is you never can, you're always learning about something new, whether it's where you're going, you know, what species you're going after, what's like the kind of behavior of a wild turkey. Um, calling techniques where you need to be, uh, with turkeys, you don't necessarily have to worry as much about, you know, wind and stuff, but you got to worry about, you know, where you're sitting in relationship to, you know, where they're roosting. Um, so there's, I'm still learning a ton about hunting in general, but especially, especially turkey hunting. So, uh, I would say that that's where I started, um, with YouTube videos and then using this family friend as kind of a reference. And then once you get out there, you start meeting people very quickly in the hunting community. Um, hunting buddies has always kind of been a, a key term and it really is true. It's like, you'll go hunting with one person, you'll meet another person on that hunt. And then you kind of start building your network that way. Um, and then once I joined MSM last year, I just opened my, you know, network up to a whole larger group of hunters yeah. and experts and the people we work with clients and yeah, last year was a, a huge learning year for me, honestly, just exponentially learn more about hunting in general, just by going on trips, documenting the filming on photography, um, to then bringing those skills back from those work trips back to my own personal hunting experience. So Jack, you were a hunter and you take photos also of hunting experiences and trips. Are you taking photos as a photographer sometimes and sometimes you're only a hunter or are you doing both when you're out there? Yeah. So that's a, another great question is, and I would say my first year, because I got into hunting through media, I got into it through photography, through video. I felt like that was always the, that's always the priority that I set when I was out hunting. So it's like when I was hunting, I was probably not what I should have done, but I was focusing more on the media aspect to try to capture my own hunts and quickly learned that you cannot do that. Like, so the first successful turkey hunt I was ever on, I had my ANUD on a 7200 lads on a monopod and it had like little, you know, tripod feet on the bottom of the monopod, but obviously it was not going to stand on its own. So I had it propped up kind of in between, it was leaning against my leg um, pointed in the direction that we knew the turkeys were going to come from and we could hear them scratching. We knew they were coming close. Um, and then all of a sudden like gust of wind came, knocked it over, knocked the camera over. And I was like, the guy I was with was like, do not move. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to move because these turkeys are probably within 20, 25 yards of us right now. And they are super aware to like sound, um, any movement at all will freak a turkey oh. out. So basically let it, let it sit. It was still recording and it was hilarious because I got the whole encounter on audio, but obviously the video was just in a, in a pile of leaves. So, but that was really like a, a pivotal oh. moment in my, you know, hunting slash media career was like, 
there's a time to hunt and there's a time to fill. And usually the two of them, you can't, it's very rare to find someone who can do both well. Um, you're either too worried about making sure you're getting the shot and you're not focused on the actual hunting aspect or, you know, vice versa. So it's, uh, when I go out now, I'm either hunting or I'm filming. I'm not really doing both. Is there a certain etiquette when you're taking photos or videos of hunters? Is there certain things that you have to follow that are like not rude to the other hunters when they're focused? Could you walk us through how you navigate yeah. through that? Yeah, I mean, especially, obviously, this is no surprise to people, but in most cases, hunting does involve some type of what we would consider to be a, you know, either a firearm or a, a bow and arrow or something. So there is some dangerous equipment involved in hunting. So you always got to be conscious of that, uh, making sure that you're not standing in anyone's like firing lanes or, you know, if you do have a firearm yourself, if I'm carrying one, like making sure that everything is good to go there with safeties and making sure that that's kind of the top priority when you're out there is the people have gotten to the field and you are in the field as well. You got to make sure that that's always top of mind. Um, but in terms of, you know, etiquette, I would say that it varies from pursuit to pursuit. So turkey hunting, for example, any movement at all, you know, any, you, you can't really talk and you just got to be dialed. So it's like, what I usually do is like, I'll be full camouflage. I'll have, you know, my cameras in full camouflage and usually the, I'll, I'll, I've even cut like custom gloves where my entire hand on my camera will be covered, but I'll cut a thumb hole so I can still, you know, like do settings and stuff on the background of the camera. Um, but you got to be super conscious about any quick movements. Like you can't, it's not like a, Oh, I got to like, you know, move stuff around to get this. It's like, you got to be any movement you make, you got to do it in like milliseconds, super slow motion, like no sound, no anything. So, um, but then there are other hunts like waterfowl hunting where you can kind of be a little bit more casual, you know, you kind of be sitting in the blind with guys talking, laughing, you know, a lot of people who cook food in the blind. Um, so it's kind of situational and you, as someone who is still learning a lot about hunting myself. I feel like I'm doing a good job at maintaining that etiquette across different, you know, hunting trips to make sure that I'm not detracting from anyone else's hunt by being there documenting photos or video. So a lot of the guys in my church, they go hunting a lot and they take it very serious. And so I couldn't imagine other hunters' feelings being photographed. That's why I was asking you, is there etiquette? And so for you it's a situational thing. Has there ever been any bad experiences when taking photos of other hunters? I wouldn't say there's been any bad experiences. There's definitely like, there's the experience of, you know, if we're doing something for a client project, hunting's a weird thing because, you know, in order to capture marketing assets for hunting, everyone thinks that you need to actually like be successful on your hunt. And in our mind, like that's not always the case. Like a large part of hunting for us is the experience of being out there. And that's yeah. honestly what sells people on if we're trying to market this product or a service is the experience that you have over the course of your entire trip and not just, you know, that one split second moment where you are either successful or not successful in your hunt. So, and I mean, some people also, if 
if we're, you know, hiring a guide or hiring, you know, um, it's like a hunting influencer to kind of be like the main subject of a specific project. Like sometimes they could take it too, they're too hard on themselves if they, you know, aren't able to be successful on their hunt. But, you know, for us, it's like, we get just yeah. as much, you know, good content and honestly enjoyment out of being out there, regardless of how the hunt actually ends up. So I wouldn't say there's any, been any ever a bad situation, but sometimes, I mean, it's a very, hunting is a very mental, mental thing as well. So. Yeah. Right. I mean, I listened to Cameron Haynes and he was talking about his experiences when he doesn't come back with a hunt, how some may view that as disrespectful by not coming back with your tag. Yeah. What's he so not respectful by not coming back with your tag? He what does that mean? Shot the deer. He shot the deer, or it was a buck, and then he shot it but didn't kill it. And he was on reservation land. Oh, yeah, yeah. So obviously, it's never, never ideal, and that's probably the hardest. Mentally, that is, I I won't even try with that. Is that is the hardest thing about hunting but that's also what goes into everyone's everyone who's a responsible hunter puts in prep work year round like even during the season out of season pre-season after season like to make sure that your gear your skills are as dialed as they can be so the chances of doing that when you're out in the field are as small as possible does that you know solve the problem every time no but as hunters, it's like that's something that we are well aware of going into every single season and every single encounter with wildlife is making sure we do our part the entire, every other day in the year other than that day to make sure that we're being respectful of what we're doing and to basically do our job to make sure that, you know, having a bad shot doesn't happen. Jack, what are some common myths in the hunting industry that people may not know? I would say the most common myth is the bat is kind of what we were just talking about with taking the life of an animal. And I feel like that's what always comes back to, you know, whether you agree with hunting or disagree with hunting, that's, that's the key, the key hot button issue is how are you okay with taking the life? And I would say there's so much more than that. And any hunter, at least the hunters that I align myself with, and the hunters that I know, like, that's not how we picture things. And it's more so about, you know, conservation and how many, how many animals can your specific area hold? Uh, what does the population look like in your area? You know, are there, what's the predator issue look like? Um, and I feel like there's so many things behind the scenes that just get left behind the scenes because everyone is so clearly focused on, you know, taking the life of an animal. So for me, that's kind of, that was what that Start in the Sky documentary, which I highly recommend. It's on Netflix to anyone who is interested in hunting or wants to learn more about why hunters go out there and do what we do. Um, I highly recommend watching that documentary. Um, but I would say of all the myths, it's not about, you know, taking the life of an animal. It's more about making sure that that animal's population is controlled, um, making sure that it's, you know, what we're doing is benefiting the environments that we go and hunt in. Um, 
and it also goes all the way back down to like the financial aspect of, you know, when you look at conservation, you know, the most money being funneled into wildlife and habitat management is coming from people who are hunters and fishermen. Um, the money we spend on all the gear and equipment that we buy, a percentage of that goes straight back into wildlife and habitat conservation. So that's something that I feel like also gets overlooked because people are so you know concerned with that hot button issue of the main objective of hunting and having a successful hunt. So understanding, from my understanding, that sometimes there is an areas in the forest, desert, wherever it's at, there can be too much of an animal because there's a lack of predators. So then these hunters come in and they lower the population of, let's just say the deer. And so then that environment, the ecosystem of the grass, the trees, everything like that can thrive more. And are those experiences or topics that you guys discuss amongst you guys, your circle of hunters? Yeah. And I mean, that would be just one situation. There's obviously, there's the opposite of that. So you've got situations out in North America where you've got, you know, sometimes too many predators or you've got, you know, too many, too many deer or something. So I know in Ohio specifically, like our deer population is kind of, uh, I don't say it's out of control, but our deer density here is insane. So like when I drank, when I, I actually counted a couple weeks ago, when I made my two-hour drive from Columbus, Ohio to Cleveland, Ohio, there were 27 deer dead on the side of the road. Oh, and wow. when you think about that, and it's like, there's, yeah, there's not enough space for them um, given their population size. And so it's like with hunters, we can go in and help manage that population. And not only all that food is also being it's not going to waste basically by sitting on the side of the road. Uh Um, so when a hunter harvests a deer, we take it home, we use every piece of that deer. Um, and then you've also got, you know, systems that are set up by the department of natural resources. So people can get tags and then provide that meat to shelters or other charitable organizations that then provide that food to people who maybe can't afford that food. So there's, there's a whole top to bottom funnel down of hunting, whether it's, from a conservation aspect, from a community aspect, to a financial aspect um, that people just don't, they're not aware of. Because when you look at the number of hunters in the United States over the last hundred years, it's uh, just a drop off. So it's just not, it's outcome of knowledge as much as it used to be. Um, and that's that's kind of the interesting idea is like hunting now, It's it seems like it's abnormal, but when you look at you know humans as a whole, it's abnormal not to hunt, if that makes sense. And that that's ripped straight from that Stars in the Sky documentary and Cedar and I will take credit for that. But it's we've been hunting as a as a human species for much longer than we've not been hunting, if that makes sense. I didn't realize how deep the community of hunters went in terms of hunting, harvesting the animal, and giving that food source to someone who may not be able to afford the food. I mean, that's a big deal. People don't talk about that. At least I haven't heard about that part. I know about the part that hunters are conservationists, but I didn't know about the part that they're helping give back in those ways to people. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And then like, especially in the Midwest where we just have huge populations of deer, um, that's a huge thing. It's like homeless shelters in my community are serving venison year round because hunters are bringing in deer, um, they're butchering it. You know, people are making furniture and sure, but they're using uh, deer heights to then use for upholstery on furniture and stuff like that. So we're literally using the deer from head to tail um, year round around here, just based on how many deer we have. So, could you walk us through a favorite experience, either as a photographer or a hunter, while you were out there in the Ohio? forests or wetlands what was the experience that you just remember the most yeah um that's the thing is being from ohio i feel like ohio has a weird uh ohio has a weird reputation outside of ohio if that makes sense so like we're very much aware of all like the memes and jokes and whatever about being from ohio i'm kind of proud to be from ohio i'm a true buckeye for life um but it is, it's a cool state and I feel like it sometimes gets a bad rap, but we've got a lot of cool stuff to offer. Um, if you go down to Southern Ohio, it's very much in line with what your the kind of landscape and environment you're getting in West Virginia or Kentucky uh, with the mountains, rolling hills. Um, when you go up to, we've got Lake Erie to our North and we've got the full coastline and kind of that beach. And we have a lot of, you know, waterfowl action up there and then. As you head out to the western part of the state, it's kind of that Great Plains type, very agriculture heavy. Um, so we've really got a lot of different areas inside the state of Ohio, and there's a lot of cool stuff to do here that I feel like people don't necessarily know about. It's definitely not uh, not as Instagram worthy as the western national parks and um, everything that I see. A lot of the people that I follow on Instagram are out doing with easy access, but I feel like it's it almost being from an area that doesn't have this, you know, outright just majestic beauty, not to say that Ohio doesn't have majestic beauty, but it's, it almost makes you work a little bit harder to make Ohio look as cool as, you know, other states in the United States. Could you share with us what your favorite or go-to setup is when you're going out there hunting? I know you have to have a specific type of gear. I know I watched one of your YouTube videos. You even had a crane for one of your videos. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say my go-to camera body is always going to be mine, Canon R5. Um, and then lens selection is usually, usually depends on the hunt. Um, I would say the two, I guess the three lenses that I bring most often are going to be a 50 millimeter, a 24 to 105, and then a 70 to 200. Um, just to kind of capture each one of those stages of the hunt kind of so uh the 50 millimeter is going to capture all those close details portrait shots uh gear i like to focus on people's hands a lot when they're hunting either with what they're holding or you know some type of action they're doing whether it's calling um the 24 to 105 is usually a great all-around lens whether i need to get close-up shots or i can also do some some landscape stuff with that one um and then the 70 to 200 is great for reaching out to pick up some piece of wildlife out in the distance or a hunter out, you know, farther away. So, um, I would say for the most part, I'm usually handheld, but for turkey season, I've got a monopod that I like using. Um, 
then yeah, that's that's kind of the the setup. And then draping usually some type of camo pattern over top of the camera and matching that to whatever season you're in, whether that's a bright green, early spring pattern, or more so that tan khaki uh, color for late season waterfowl or even white if you're hunting in the snow. So you really have to camouflage your camera gear as well. Can they really see that? Yep. Uh, turkeys especially can. So turkeys are super visual, um, like to the point where, like I mentioned earlier, any type of movement at all will set a turkey off. So, uh, yeah, definitely for turkeys. I wouldn't for waterfowl. You don't have to camouflage as much because usually you are you are camouflaged as a whole inside of your blind. Um, for a kind of for big game and whitetail, it's kind of depends on the situation. If you're more like run and gun out, you know, chasing an animal, you definitely don't want to be like, I feel like you can get away with non camouflaging stuff just because you're moving more quickly. It doesn't make that much of a difference, but if you are more in, you're in a set location and kind of sitting for long amounts of time, it's, it's helpful to be camouflaged in just to keep that like consistency and they don't really recognize anything if they're coming into your area. Awesome, man. So, I mean, you were talking earlier about how Ohio may not be the most popular, beautiful place by Instagram's point of view. How do you personally, Jack West, stay inspired living in Ohio? Yeah. Um, honestly, by following a lot of on other accounts like you, Nick, and seeing what other people are doing across the U.S. And I feel like we're kind of running in similar circles and who we follow and interact with on social media. So it's cool to see what other people are doing. And it's like, you know, is that something that I could maybe put my own spin on here in Ohio or vice versa? Is like, if what I'm doing here, is there a way that I can, you know, provide a little creative boost or inspiration to someone who's maybe living in a, a different part of the country? Um, I take a lot of inspiration from people in other type of industries and sports and like, I love the whole like action sports, snowboarding, oh, yeah. um, that stuff as well. So is there any, any opportunities for me to like bring that stuff in? Obviously I love landscape photography. Um, it's kind of hard around me because I don't really have any, um, I don't know, cool landscape near me. I usually have to drive a little bit if I want to even get to like a waterfall or a lake or something. So that's the thing is it's sometimes hard to make uh, cornfields look cool all the time, but it's possible. And I feel like it's, if you do uh, do it correctly, you can provide a little bit of a creative spark to someone who's maybe not, uh, not as well versed in cornfield photography as I am. So. Right. But in your photos, at least I like to think that a lot of other people do this too. I dissect a photo when I look at it and I try to see if there's a story told. And you, you live in Ohio. You realized, okay, I don't live in this crazy picturesque place. So you transformed it into telling more tight-knit stories, whether it's a hunt, it's a fishing trip, it's driving in the mud. When did you make that transition to start telling more stories through your photos versus just taking that grand landscape yeah um that's a great question i would say once i started dialing in my like 
editing style kind of, which, I mean, I grew up in the golden age of like Peter McKinnon. Yeah. So I would say that Peter's always going to be my like number one influence on how I like developed my, not only my editing style, but my photography style as well. Um, which I, that should come as no surprise to anyone who's ever scrolled through my feed. It's very dark, grainy, very moody. Um, I like to take a lot of pictures of Ford Raptors. Like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I feel like once I started dialing that in and obviously he's put on a lot of content on telling a story through your photography and the whole Pete's pirate life, uh, theme. And I don't know, that just really spoke to me as a creative person. And it's kind of cool. And I mean, he's from Ontario, Canada, so that's obviously a, a super cool place, but it's definitely not like a, I don't know, like a majestic place like we were talking about. He's not living in the mountains or like that. So, I mean, he has to work as well to make, you know, cool creative content when he's at home in uh, Ontario. So, yeah, it's kind of just a, it's a little extra challenge. And I feel like if I can tell a story of something that may not seem like it's a, I don't know, like I'm, I don't know how to really describe this, but telling a story, even if it's uh, what someone put to consider to be like a, a boring story and making a boring story look cool, honestly. So every time I talk to people when they complain to me that they don't live in a cool place, I literally reference you every single time because you're the first person that comes to mind who leaves no excuse is for taking boring photos in a boring place. Could you help people who are listening uh, understand better how to tell a story more effectively? And maybe they live in an, a non-beautiful place. How can you yeah. improve your storytelling skills? Yeah. No, I mean, that's a, that's an honor, honestly. So... And I'll, I'll admit, like, I definitely went through the phase of like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of Ohio. It's so boring. And I feel like even when you go on social media and people talk about Ohio, they're like, no, thankfully I got out of there. I'm so happy to not live in Ohio anymore. But it's like, I feel like all these, you know, the flyover states and the Midwest and stuff, they get a bad rap because every, you know, creative person leaves and they go somewhere else and they kind of you know, go to where they think they can be more creative. And it's like, so this side of Ohio and the Midwest and all these other states where you don't hear about any creative people that are coming from, I mean, it's because everyone left and no one's here to kind of tell the story and showcase what these states have to offer. So, I mean, with me, it's like, I'm going to stick around here. And it's, when you look at what other people are posting, it's, you know, are they posting? Yeah, they have a cool background, but just, replace, you know, mountains with a forest or replace mountains with, you know, a beach on one of the great lakes or, you know, whatever is unique to where you are at in your part of the world. Um, you know, make it, make it cool, make it interesting. So whether that's through a different editing style, uh, whether you want to get like props involved, I know a lot of people like have started doing like mirrors and, you know, lighting techniques and all that stuff has been super popular over the last couple of years on social media, but for me, it's kind of that editing style and telling a story about a, even if it's a super specific event, like a raccoon crawling on a tree towards you or something like, I don't know, how can you make 
you know, what outward looking in seems like a not that interesting thing, be creative and turn it into a story. Well, perfect transition to your editing style, though. That answers my question perfectly. But to transition to your editing style, why did you decide to stick with one style? A lot of artists seem to be sporadic. Like they change a lot. They get inspiration based on how they're feeling. You choose to stay the same color style through in all the way through. Yeah. No, I definitely think that having that, I don't know. I've talked about it a lot on like one, my own Instagram, but that cohesive style. That's a lot of the, what we talk about with other clients and stuff is if you can develop kind of like what you said, where it's like, when you look at my Instagram, you can tell that it came from me. Like that's kind of our goal with clients as well. And developing like a brand identity that's super strong to increase, you know, recognition in the community and be having people able to tell where something came from without even actually saying like, yeah, this is, this is who posted this or this is who edited it. Um, yeah, I don't know. What was the second half of your question there? Uh, why you, why you chose to stick with one style of your photography? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. So kind of to, to go back to that, I guess, like, it almost helps me get out. Like when I was editing each photo differently, you almost have too many options to choose from. And that can kind of lead to almost like a creative rut almost when you get to a point where you're not sure exactly how you want to edit something. <laughs> Whereas now that I have this style, I kind of know going in almost like guardrails of like where I want to go with it. And it allows me to kind of push some boundaries in those in color choices and get super granular into like, you know, how much sharpening or how much clarity or how much texture, or how much desaturation or hue differences, variations am I going to put into this specific image? But I know cohesively it's going to stay in my realm of editing style, but you can still, you know, nail down to every little detail inside of each individual photo. Um, but it also helps you. It's, it's not like overload where once you take a photo, you're like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to edit this. There's so many different directions I can do. And then you try something and you don't like it and you let it sit for a day. You come back to it, you try something, you don't like it, you let it sit for another day. And then all of a sudden it's been like a month since you took that photo. Have it gotten an editing edit on it that you liked. It never sees the light of day. And then you kind of fall into that, you know, you end up not posting or not being consistent because you just kind of psyched yourself out and you don't know how you want to, how you want to edit it. Whereas with me, it's like, I know it's going to fall into my style, but I can still be creative with, you know, those little details and how I edit a photo. So you talk about the challenges of not having a style. What are some challenges of having a style? Yeah, kind of similar, similar vibe. And for me, it's, I kind of like having a style as opposed to not having it. I mean, obviously people will say, well, I can't, obviously not every photo that I take will look good with my editing style. And I'm kind of okay with that. And I feel like a lot of the photos I take are, I take them based on how I think they're going to look when I do edit them. And that kind of has, my editing style has actually helped shape my photography technique, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, I kind of know like, you know, how much of a, how much skin tone do I want in a photo? How much of the sky do I want in a photo? And do I want to try to frame the sky out entirely? Because if it's a blue sky day, 
you'll notice in my feet, I don't have any blue at all. There is zero. My blue saturation slider is zero. So blue has been the one color that I just don't, I know how to edit it. And obviously I edit it differently for client work and stuff. It's my client work is a lot different than my uh, personal work, but for me in my personal feed, blue does not work. So any photo that I take, or if I go on a shoot and it's blue skies, I'm taking photos specifically that do not include the sky. Um, I'm getting super detailed shots. I'm trying to focus on reds and browns and greens that I know will fit well with my editing style into my feed. And I mean, I feel like that was, that was kind of the, the thing that people say about having a style is you can't, you can't do what you want all the time. And I would flip that around to those same people and be like, I can do what I want. And I just choose to stay within that realm and kind of take photos that I think are cool and kind of work backwards almost to fit them into my editing style rather than just taking generalized photo and trying to slap my edit onto it. You know, those photos were kind of pre-planned from, you know, an idea into into the full editing process and then eventually end up on the feed. Jack, there's so much to dive into that, to digest for people listening. I just, everything you said there got me excited. This is start back from you're shooting a specific way because you know you're going to edit it a specific way. So what's your thought process? Are you planning your yep. shots before you even go out into the field? Yeah. I mean, let's, let's, uh, I'll use like a, I went down to, used like a random hunt, for example. So I was on a, a pheasant hunt in December and it was in Ohio and it was a, what most people will consider to be a beautiful day. Uh, not a cloud in the sky, sunny, blue skies. For me, that's like the worst possible day for photography. Like I am very much a moody type person. I love overcast. I love clouds. I love like heavy rainstorms rolling in like dark evenly lit um and so a, a bright and sunny day with not a cloud in the sky that's uh, i knew going into that shoot yeah i was definitely gonna have to be creative if i wanted any of these photos to then end up on my feed so and i was also shooting i was shooting for a client that day but also it was kind of like a personal hunt so i knew i was gonna have some client work and then some personal stuff that i would then repurpose on my own instagram um, and so going into that, I got the, I made sure to check all of those boxes off the client checklist to make sure I got landscape shots, detail shots. Um, and once that was done, then I really dialed into what kind of shots can I get here that will then fit my Instagram. And a lot of them were like stuff of dogs, bird dogs, um, going after flushing birds. Um, I got a lot of close up detail shots of guys, you know, holding pheasants, hands on dogs, um, a lot of detail shots of like, so upland hunting has a lot of cool, like, um, vests and jackets and gear that you can kind of, uh, take photographs of. And it's got a lot of cool texture to it. A lot of it's like wax cotton, um, super cool textured vibe. So I took a lot of like clothing detail shots of like hands and pockets, basically anything that cut out the sky. Um, if we were in kind of like a little like gully or valley, there was a section where like a little creek was running through two ag fields. So once we were in that little bit of a more shaded area, that's where I really started to dial in stuff. 
uh, not having to deal with that harsh sunlight and shadows. So yeah, it was kind of cool to play around and be like, with my editing style, what kind of shots can I get? And a lot of them were those close-up detail shots where I didn't have to worry about shadows and didn't have to worry about the sky. So I'm just imagining how much you've grown because your styles forced you to think outside the box. And how have, what are some challenges you faced? Thinking outside the box, has there ever been a time where you just didn't take a photo or did you have you always tried to get something out of it no yeah no my problem has never been not taking photos i've got drives and terabytes and just full of photos that honestly they will never see the light of day but i know they have them and i'll eventually go back and i'll look at stuff from time to time and archive stuff and i've forgot about photos i've taken and you know, I've repurposed a lot of photos as well. Um, like my feed currently, like if we go back and, you know, look at my feed as it stands today, like the last photo I posted, I actually took last year. Um, the raccoon photo was this past fall. Um, the raptor photo was in January of this year. So not all of it is like super recent. And that's something where it kind of takes me, uh, I've got kind of like a big, asset backlog of stuff where I've already edited it and just kind of see like where will this best work into the feed um but then when I do go on a cool shoot I'm like yeah I'm gonna edit these immediately and get them up as fast as possible just because I I know they're gonna work really well and I really like the the photos themselves but you know if I don't have time to go out and shoot my own stuff a lot that's when I really start to repurpose old photos and it's kind of cool to go back and see how I've grown like you said as a photographer and with my new editing style, like how do these old photos that I've kind of forgotten about, you know, how do they develop into something new with the new editing style and the stuff that I've learned took those old photos. Refreshing your perspective. Recently, you just started posting some carousel type posts regarding business, marketing, branding tips to help other people. Why did you start this type of content on your Instagram? Yeah, that's a great question. And that took me a while to, to kind of jump into as well. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, but I used to do something similar to this last year a little bit. Wasn't to the scale that I do it now, but I've always had this almost two sides where it's like I've got my creative side and then I've also got my business analytical you know, strategy side. And I've been struggling to find a way to incorporate that into the feed. And like, it's kind of a lot of the, a lot of the reason why I didn't do it previously or earlier was because it wasn't what was going to work with the algorithm. And, and, you know, when I did post this stuff last year, it got, I almost feel like people intentionally, like if they could <laughs> unlike it, they would unlike it. Like it's, uh. I don't know. It just didn't do well. And it was kind of hard. And that's a whole another conversation that I'm sure other people have mentioned is like the mental sign of the algorithm changes and reach drop offs and whatever. It's like, it really messes with your mind and you start to devalue your own work because it's maybe not getting the same likes it did last year or two years ago or whatever. And it's like, it's not because your photos are not as good as they used to be. It's because 
stuff that's out of your control and getting over that hurdle was part of the reason why I started doing these business posts again. And it's like, that's just as much a part of my life as, you know, the creative side and the outdoor still photos and the reels and stuff that I put out. It's like, if I want my feed to be the full Jack West experiences, who I am as a person, like that includes those business and strategy and kind of deeper posts in addition to this, the, Hey, this is a cool photo and I'm going to put it up there. So getting over that hurdle and not caring so much about how stuff does on the feed. And I would say that I'm going forward, I'm treating my feed as more of like a, an art gallery for my mind and my like creative style almost rather than trying to get people, like I'm not trying to grow my Instagram anymore. I'm kind of giving up on it. If people don't like it, go ahead and unfollow me. Like I'm just going to post stuff that I'm passionate about and I think it's cool. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at going forward with Instagram. I relate to you. I feel like I am an analytical business person first that's grown into the creative space over the years. Like I have to force myself to be creative in order to be creative. Not that everyone can be creative, but naturally I'm analytical, logical, business minded. So seeing your posts with a spin of art on them with design, things like that is awesome. And to dive in a little bit on one of the posts that you talked about, it was about stresses in Q1, being a business owner of myself. We, I don't have someone I, I answered to for Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, but for you, did you have to answer yep. for a Q1 and was there any challenges in that terms for you or was that just to help other people? Yeah. I mean, definitely we work with a lot of clients and they're very, uh, business-minded and focused on quarterly goals and sales revenue and marketing uh, objectives and all that stuff. So yeah, that's definitely something that's always um, always in the back of our mind throughout the year and making sure that we're staying on track like for to not only meet our clients' goals, but also like as Muddy Shutter Media as a whole to make sure that we're meeting our own goals, um, making sure that we're moving forward as a company. And yeah, so that's, uh, I guess in terms of my own you know, I really don't set quarterly goals for like my Instagram or my like personal creative stuff, but I always like to feel like I'm moving forward a little bit. Um, I'll set some informal goals for myself and say, Hey, I want to get, you know, this many posts out or I want to, you know, take this direction in the next couple months or next couple weeks or something. So I feel like that was, you know, using my Instagram piece as an example, where I'm at now with my feet was kind of the goal that I had set for myself, like in December of last year. And it's like, you know, by March, I kind of want to start posting more of the, more of the marketing stuff, more of the business posts. Um, and yeah, I can definitely say that over the first quarter of the year, I kind of accomplished that goal for myself. That makes sense when you put it in that perspective of meeting goals for clients versus meeting goals for yourself. Like for myself, I mean, I have all kinds of goals and I wrote them out December. I was like, I want to hit these things by this time and then you did it, you didn't do it. I really like that you called people out on that. I mean, we kind of have, because I was like, yeah, I was like, that's like something that people should be thinking about because I'm big into yeah. setting goals. Yeah. And I don't know, that's that's definitely on, I've got a whole list of uh, list of ideas for upcoming posts and stuff and goal setting is definitely the common, it's like a reoccurring theme that always uh-huh. pops up. You know, people talk about goals, but it's like the whole process of like setting a goal and making sure that it's one, achievable, and two, I feel like the the part of goal setting that people always don't do is 
outlining a strategy to then accomplish that goal. Like it's one thing to say like, yeah, I want to have 10 billion followers in the next week, but like, how are you actually going to do that? And I feel like people, they'll say, okay, here's my goal and put zero effort or thought into how they're actually going to achieve mm-hmm. it. So that's where a lot of my posts usually outline is like the steps you can take to take action to actually accomplish your goals. So yeah, who knows what the, uh, that might be my next post, honestly. So yeah, we're probably ready for that one. So I was watching a couple of your YouTube videos. Well, I mean, I was following along with following along when you were posting them and you haven't posted in a while. And I was just kind of curious if you're going to make a comeback to the YouTube channel space, document your adventures or just do topical discussions regarding marketing and photography, hunting everything together. Yeah. That's a kind of forgot about YouTube for a while. Um, that was definitely something that I hit. That was before I had joined MSM. So that was kind of like my little side project back when I was working at Abercrombie. Um, and yeah, I, to be straight up, it's not really on my, on my goal list in the immediate future. Uh, so I feel like YouTube and it's hard for me. I'm definitely, I'm not a video editor. Like I always say, I know how to edit video, but I'm not a great video editor. So, um, and for the quality of content that I would want to push out on YouTube, I just don't know if I have the skills currently to, to meet my own expectations for what I would want to put out on YouTube. So I feel like for right now, I'm going to focus on building out more of that community. And I would say, you know, going into Q2 for talking in, in quarters of the year, like I want to continue to bring in more people and I guess identify more people in our space that care about the business stuff. Um, like I'm hemorrhaging followers right now by what I'm doing on my own feed, losing tens of followers every single day. So I feel like my goal is to start building up an audience who actually cares about the stuff I'm posting. And then if I, you know, prove that, that concept, then maybe that's something I would want to bring over to YouTube to start providing more data and insights and intel into kind of my thought process and creative workflow. But as of this point, like I'm really not, uh, not proving the concept right now as people are really rapidly unfollowing me. So, you know, I am in a weekly entrepreneurs mastermind group calls. We meet every Wednesday usually, and we just talk about different struggles, different things, how to build a brand. And one person, this marketing guru, they said, when you post about what you're interested in, like your business, your brand, your niche, your values, not only are you posting to attract certain people who are like-minded, you're also retracting, reflecting people who may not align with what you're doing. So that whole alignment issue or a whole alignment topic is crucial because if you're not authentic to what you're believing, what you're creative side is posting you're going to attract the wrong audience and actually make people who you actually want to attract not interested in you yeah exactly i would say that that's something that i've struggled with since i started my instagram and like i started my instagram well before i started my hunting career well before i started my journey into marketing strategy it's like when i first started my instagram a lot of people followed me for travel content and i feel like i was like i was like the travel guy I was trying to be Peter McKinnon, um, posting, you know, the best of the best when it came to any trip that I had ever 
McDonald. And then that kind of translated into, you know, creating the Moody, Moody edits. And then I was known as the Moody edit guy. And that's what people followed me for. And, you know, the travel people, they were fine with that. They're, they're fine with, you know, travel stuff with the Moody edit on it. But then when I moved into hunting and outdoor, you know, recreational stuff, I turned off a lot of people, lost quite a few followers on that. Um, still kept, you know, the people who were interested in those three topics of travel, movie editing, and then hunting and fishing. And then once I started this, you know, the new, you know, business, marketing, whatever, I lost, you know, a significant amount of people because the amount of people who then were interested in all four of those topics, they were interested in travel, they were interested in the movie editing, editing style. They were interested in hunting and fishing, and they were also interested in marketing and business stuff. That's a pretty small collection of people. And that's kind of what I've posted a lot of stuff in my stories to be like, when you, when you come to my feed, what do you expect to see? And obviously the number one answer was like all of the above, because I feel like the people who are interacting with my stories the most are people who are that rare collection of people who are interested in all the things that I'm interested in. Um, but yeah, I've got people that you know, used to follow me for travel stuff. And I, you know, I still post some travel stuff, but it's definitely not what I'm posting primarily. Um, I've got people that follow me for moody editing style, which that's something that I'll continue to do. Um, I've got people that specifically follow me for hunting and fishing stuff, and they're not really interested in travel and they're not really interested in moody editing style. And they're definitely not interested in the business stuff. Um, so I'm really trying to build up that, that fourth one, the new one of this marketing strategy, insights, data, you know, creative workflow, kind of the business side behind the creative industry. Um, and I feel like that's, I don't really have, that's my smallest customer segment right now, um, smallest target audience. And so I'm really trying to build that one up because I feel like those people will then understand kind of where I'm at in my journey on Instagram. And it's, it's been tough, not going to lie to kind of deal with, I know that I'm turning off a lot of people that followed me and Honestly, I've lost followers of people who have been following me for many years. And that's just got to be something I'm okay with because I feel like my Instagram account currently is probably the the most authentic version of, you know, me that I've ever put out on Instagram. So that's what I'm talking about, man. To briefly touch on okay, Instagram and growing, things like that. So I started out as a photographer what i posted about then i transitioned into like travel content then i transitioned into adventure photography then i transitioned into outdoors tips i kept trying to transition into things that i thought would do good versus doing what i wanted to do i ended up ignoring the fact that i love storytelling so it took me until like last year's june to realize yeah. whoa i come out here because i was taking photos and videos so now that I'm out here posting like what I want to do, I built up the, I built up the wrong audience from the start. So I totally relate to what you're saying. But like I mentioned before, we're taking away the people who are not aligned with us, and we're also bringing the people who are aligned with us. Which keep doing what you're doing, man. Um, another question I had for you before we close out was. You're in marketing, you're a photographer, but I want to know what your ideal dream job is, or maybe even running your own business. 
Yeah, I would say, you know, right now I'm in my ideal dream job. And my ideal dream job is to come in and be able to do something new pretty much every day. And I mean, the people that I work with at Muddy Shutter Media, and, you know, everyone within our immediate network of clients and you know, companies that, you know, my own network, personal aside from MSM on Instagram, like it's a really awesome collection of people. And I'm super grateful to interact with all the people that I interact with every day. And we have some really cool conversations that have helped me like grow personally and grow professionally, you know, a large amount over the last year. So I would say I'm in, I'm in that realm of, I'm still growing a lot. Um, but yeah, what I'm doing now and just learning as much as possible and interacting with a lot of people every day, that's, that's kind of the dream job for me. So well said. So today's age, we are in the age and generation of posting work, copying each other and chasing views. But I mean, to be frank, I mean, people have always been copying each other's work for as long as humans have been alive. Now it's just put on display because we have social media to see it. How do you navigate to creating original work and what are some tips you can share with the listeners? how to go about that yeah um i mean i'll be straight up there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking inspiration from other people like i take inspiration from all the people i've talked about peter mckinnon multiple times in this podcast episode already like huge inspiration to me um but i feel like you have to the the easiest way to tell whether or not you copied someone and ripped something off was whether you can explain exactly what you did to create that you know piece of work and for me, like I can speak to anything that I've ever put on my feet. I can tell you exactly why I edited it, like what I was doing when I shot it, why I took that specific picture, like, you know, what I remember about it. And it's like, that's, that's the key indicator right there of whether or not it's an original work of yours or not. If you can speak to it and stand behind what you put out there. And I know a lot of people probably can't do that. And if you ask them, Hey, you know, I really like this photo. How'd you edit it? Oh, you know, I took it and then I, you know, from the preset pack that I bought from this one dude, I slapped it on there and then published it. Like, okay, great. Cool story. Whereas like, you know, even if you like did buy a preset from someone, like talk about the story of, you know, why did you select that specific preset or, you know, what changes did you make to it when you were going through it? It's like, how does it reflect you like cohesively on your feed? Like, does it fit well with, you know, what you already post or were you trying to take a new direction with what you were you know, publishing out on your Instagram, like basically what was your thought process behind putting something out there? And I don't know, that's, that's kind of the, the thought process that I take with my own feed and the stuff that I put out is, you know, if someone asked me and I'm happy that Nick, you had me on your podcast it kind of allowed me to give a little bit of insight on, you know, my process and what I put out on Instagram, because I feel like, yeah, I do put out original content and yeah, anyone who wants to kind of discuss or if you're struggling with figuring out how do you want to make original content and you can't really figure out, you know, are you questioning whether your stuff is original or whether you feel like you're copying someone else? Like, I kind of love these conversations and helping someone like uncover their true brand identity or, you know, who you are as a person or, you know, also getting people out of that imposter syndrome because I had that for a long time and it's like, yeah, I, I know that deep down I was creating original content, but it maybe didn't feel like I was creating original content just because 
like I was taking so much stuff from other people and, and inspiration, but helping people get out of that. You're not always an imposter just because you are questioning whether your stuff is original or not. So it's definitely a cool conversation to have with people. Man, just drop the mic, man. That's awesome. Uh, before I let you go, where can the people listening learn more about you and where can they follow you? Yeah. Um, so my Instagram is Jack West, uh, Jack's with a V, so J V C K W E S T. Um, definitely go ahead and follow Muddy Shutter as well on Instagram. Um, we're getting ready to publish our our origin story and director's reel. So definitely it's kind of a compilation of the coolest stuff that we've shot over the last five years. So it's we're actually launching it today. So it'll be up on our website. Um, that's kind of it. I'm also super active on LinkedIn in case anyone's uh, jumped over to LinkedIn uh, looking for some more of that business you know, long form you know, marketing strategy advice. And I'm uh, Jack Westerati over oh. on LinkedIn. All right. If you didn't catch that on Instagram, he's Jack West. A is with a V. Go follow Mutter Shutter Media. That's where he works. He's doing all the magic, helping other businesses. If you want to learn more about marketing, discussions, posts with Jack, you can go to LinkedIn. I actually just sent Jack a LinkedIn connect. So I'll be getting that soon. Highly recommend you to LinkedIn if you are creative and you're trying to reach out to people and get a hold of them linkedin is a very underrated tool and jack before we let you go is there anything else you would like to add to the listeners today yeah i would just say uh don't don't always let what other people are doing and let the algorithm kind of dictate your creative process so just take a deep dive and look back at you are as a person and Honestly, just if you want to follow my lead and use uh, Instagram as kind of a, a visual gallery of who you are, that would be my uh, best bet to overcome any negative side effects of the algorithm or any of that stuff. So, and just keep following Nick because he's bringing great people onto his podcast. That's what I'm talking about. Don't let the algorithm dictate your value or what you believe in, what you're posting. And if you don't follow me, Nick. Uh, I'm at the Nick Amp on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and I post about mountains, hiking. Now I'm telling stories about video. Actually, I'm probably getting into more nature documentaries. You're hearing it first here. I haven't told anybody that yet. Awesome. So that should be cool. If I learn more about the podcast, it's Nick Amp Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. We're streaming on all platforms. We're on YouTube if you want to watch us. Hello. Glad you're here. Can't wait to share more people with you and their perspectives. We hope that this episode was beneficial to you and that you learned something from it. And I will catch you on another episode next week. Thanks again for listening. See you, Jack. See you.